as your Savior. Say amen. We belong to Him. And His love for us is that He came the first time, died on an old rugged cross to free us from the penalty of our sin. But as uh, Diane and uh, Diane just sang and played, He's coming again to take us home. Praise the Lord for that. He is, you know, He loves us enough that not only did He save us, but He's coming back to get us. And uh, even so come, Lord Jesus. I've enjoyed the singing this morning. I was, I was thinking as I got to sing that uh, last song, All That Thrills My Soul is Jesus. I was thinking, well, my wife thrills my soul too, but not in the same capacity, you know, in that uh, the Lord has done so much for me. But then I was thinking, you know, truly those things that God gives us, and truly I believe my wife is a gift from the Lord, Especially after her being gone for a week and a half, I've uh, understood how much more of a gift she is. Uh, I come home at nighttime and I'm lonely. And uh, God reminds me that I'm still with you. And I said, that's great, but I'm lonely. (laughs) I can see all of you feeling sorry for me. We have a great God, don't we? We have a great God. And that's what we need to focus on. That's what we need to focus on. And so as you turn in your Bibles, 
uh, to Matthew chapter 5. We're talking about murder in your heart. Now, we're just going to recap just a little bit, and then we're going to keep on moving. All right? And I'm glad that you're here. Uh, oftentimes, when messages develop here at Westside, if we don't get quite through them, they turn into uh, a little mini-series. And uh, this morning, I want to talk about uh, here this aspect of uh, forgiveness. And uh, last week, we, we laid some ground rules and some, some things here uh, down. And there are various aspects and relationships that we talked about last week, and we're going to continue on in talking about those and really giving you what I would consider a strong key uh, for having liberty in our soul. We've been talking about this on Wednesday nights, the, the imprisonment that comes in our soul. And, and here he talks about anger. And uh, in the very first part of this, when he says, you've heard it said, but I say unto you, don't be angry against your brother. Many times people feel justified if they're angry or they don't forgive somebody because of the atrocities and the evils and the, the horrible things that have come to them. And I don't want to minimize those to any degree, but I do want to deal a little bit with the victim mentality. And oftentimes the victim mentality enslaves a person to what has been done to them so that they are not free to have this great joy and peace in their soul. And so they'll hold on to anger, they'll hold on to bitterness, and they'll hold on to this unforgiveness, and they'll, they'll feel justified. And, and, and boy, you can come up with all kinds of excuses. And today we are very much in a, an excuse-oriented society. But just because what somebody else has done doesn't make it right for you to do wrong. What somebody else does, they're going to be held responsible for. And be not deceived. God is not mocked, right? The Bible says don't seek vengeance because God will deal with things accordingly. And we'll see that as time we get to the end of the service, that there's a God in heaven knows all about it. But because God loves you, you can have freedom in your soul and you can have joy in your heart. We've been talking about this a little bit on Wednesday nights where if you were to take your mind and put it in a box as there's a struggle for your mind, the territory of your mind, the flesh is pulling in your mind, the spirit's pulling in your mind and your soul, your emotions and all these things. That as you let anger come in, more darkness comes in. You're not finding liberty, you're finding more darkness and you're going to, you're not, you know, sometimes the, the, and really the flesh says, man, it feels good to be angry, right? It does. I mean, just to get angry, I mean, that, that's a fleshly response. We'll see that in Galatians chapter 5 as well. You are not doing yourself well by letting that anger harbor there or bitterness or ill feelings towards somebody else. I don't care what they have done. And so this victim mindset or this victim mentality uh, comes in. And and I I decided to look up a a few things on it on the Internet. And not all things you find on the Internet are good. But I thought a couple things that were helpful. And what I'd like to do this morning is kind of give us some keys, some tools that can help us. And hopefully maybe liberate our soul from maybe some shackles or some chains or from the imprisonment that we've put ourselves into. The other person didn't put you in prison. You must accept the responsibility of putting yourself in prison. Okay? A couple things here. One one person said, the way I snap out of victim mentality is by remembering how blessed my life is compared with much of the world. 
I'm not fighting to survive genocide, poverty, or daily street violence from an insurgent militia. Seeing things this way stops me from wallowing in self-pity and imprisoning indulgences. I like what, how they describe that. So when you think you've had a bad day, try keep this kind of perspective. You know, we sing a song, count your many blessings. See what God has done. Focus on those things. Don't focus on what you don't have or what's been taken. Focus on what you do have. In fact, in, uh, is it, uh, where is it? Hebrews chapter 13. It says, be content with what you have. He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And praise the Lord for that. So that's one aspect. But I'd like to go a little bit deeper into some things. And this morning we want to give you some tools. And I, I encourage you, ask God to help you to learn. If you're struggling with some, some thoughts of forgiveness and things like that, that God will help you with this. Or if you have anger. You know, some people, they are more prone to anger. Sometimes it could be because of what's happened in the past. In other words, because they had an angry parent or they had an angry teacher or something like that, it's created this, this fertile soil to be angry and they just go out and reiterate. Maybe they even hated that which took place to them, but they actually become a part of it and, and passing it on rather than understanding forgiveness and God's love. And no matter what has come in our lives, we have a God who sent his son to die on the cross. And we'll illustrate that in greater portions this morning. So in, in this idea, uh, another person writes, the victim, something's happened to you, surrenders power over their lives to others. I thought that was a good, good illustration. So the victim mindset is you're letting somebody else or the circumstances or what's happened affect your responses and you surrender over to that and you yield to it. Their life is driven by their environment. Now, right at the top of our heads, we all ought to say our life ought to be driven by Jesus Christ. Nothing's supposed to control us. You know, we, we, we might come in, in our understanding and say, well, I don't want money to control me. I don't want greed to control me. I don't want my circumstances to control me. I am responsible for my responses. I am not responsible for what other people do. That's what they're going to stand before the Lord and give an account. I am responsible for how I respond and react. And then the, the, the person goes in and says, victims can often, uh, excuse me, uh, proactive people's lives are driven by values they employ and how they choose to respond. So it is a choice. Victims can often be bound in prison by unforgiveness. How many have heard of Corey Tin Boone? Many of us have. I decided to look a little bit up about her life. She wrote The Hiding Place, and she was during the, uh, the, the uh, uh, Nazi in uh, World War II and the war there. And, and her home and her family used their home to help about 900 Jews escape from the gas chambers. Well, somebody of a family member or friend turned them in and the Nazis came in and took them and threw them into prison. And in a short time, her father, who she loved very dearly, died. And then while she was in prison for that period of time, she saw her sister waste away and die maybe, I think, a few days before she was released. 
Listen to what she says. She said, forgiveness is setting the prisoner free. Only to find out that the prisoner was me. That's something. Releasing others for their failings and accepting responsibility for our own future is often the required path forward from a victim's mentality. We have a great God. And so as we look in in Matthew chapter 5, we saw there that if a brother uh, has maybe done something and you're you're angry, you, you maybe called him an idiot. And then the next scenario is, is what if you've done something wrong, it says you go out and take care of it. Leave your altars there. If you realize that you have awe with a brother or, or someone else, you go and you take care of it before you worship. Lest you're thrown into prison. And there are many people who are imprisoned in their mind and in their soul because they will not deal with forgiveness. They'll not deal with the responsibilities of their own actions. It's so easy to make excuses. Well, if she hadn't, if she hadn't talked to me that way, I wouldn't have yelled back. Is that a good excuse or a poor excuse? One person said that I've never found a person who's good at making excuses that was good at anything else. <laughs> May God help us. And I would hope that now as we turn over, if you would, to Matthew chapter 18, as we get into another area of this, that we, we, we understand this, this, this amazing truth of forgiveness. Uh, there in chapter 18, and I gave you last week that Matthew is more about themes, about uh, different stories that they grouped together. And here he talked about how this lost sheep and how important it was for the, the shepherd to go out and find that one lost sheep and how important it is to go out and, and rescue and then he goes into church discipline and he sets the stage for church discipline and, and saying and helping us to understand that church discipline or confrontation or, or whatever it might be. When I was growing up, I heard the word excommunicate. How many have heard that word excommunicate? That sounds pretty tough. You read 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul tells the Corinthian church that if there's a brother that's not willing to repent of his sexual immoralities there, that you deliver such a one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so his soul might be saved. say, wow, that's strong language. That doesn't fit into our modern day thinking. Tough love is to help restore, help rescue Rather than someone just going out there and going to headlong into destruction, you want to rescue them. You want to give them that advice. If you know there's a cliff out there and you're walking back and you see a brother going towards a cliff, you want to warn him, don't go that way. And so here in church discipline, we see this where you see a brother and you go to that brother and you want to deal with it uh, privately so that you can you don't just spread everything to the wind and get people on your side and all this kind of ill-natured uh, aspects that can come in and your flesh going into this. In fact, Galatians chapter 6, we talked about this last week. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault... Ye which are spiritual, you're being spirit-led. God's dealing with you. And you see a brother who's having struggles and God's laying on your heart. You need to go to restore, to rescue. That word restore is like mending a broken bone. Instead of him walking through the rest of his life on a crooked lane, you go along to help set the bone in place so that he can get on his journey and make success. Restore such one. Ah... 
Matthew 18, verse 15 says uh, to go to that brother trying to gain a brother. It's not to tear him down, to make you right and him wrong. No, it's the whole idea to go and restore. And he says, do it in the spirit of meekness. Consider yourself. And I want to tell you something. I have a lot to consider in my own self. How about you? You know, that's one thing I've realized over 37 years, almost of uh, almost 37 years of pastoring. I can stick my foot in my mouth. How many have ever noticed that? Don't you raise your hand. I did the other day, didn't I? Wednesday. That's right. It's good to have you. She came back after I stick my foot in my mouth. You forgave. Thank you, sweetheart. I appreciate that. I, I do it all the time, don't I, around here and, 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 and everything. And, and it's easy to do that. What's that? You, you did catch me. <laughs> I caught myself, too, after I said what I said. So <laughs> you say, I, what did you say? Preach. You got to come on Wednesday night to get the excitement. All right. Just got to do that. We're doing some great things on Wednesday night. It's great things on Wednesday. All right. So here, the spirit, consider yourself, lest thou also be tempted. Uh, people after our first service came up and they said, you know, you need to do unto others that you'd want done to yourself. That's a good principle, isn't it? As you go to some someone else, someone else came up to me and they just gave a marvelous truth. And it wasn't my, my truth. It was something how God spoke to their heart about. It. And they said, he says, you know what? He says, you know what? There's an Anger, that's a flesh anger. And then there's a righteous indignation, right? And we've heard that about even calling a person a fool where you need to recognize a fool, but then not to call a fool because you want to call him an idiot or something else like that. There's difference of mindsets in it. He said to me, he says, you know what I understood this morning? He says, even in my righteous indignation, I can be unrighteous. That's profound. You can hate what's going on and that hate towards what's going on begins to penetrate into your heart and it causes more flesh to come in than it should. We see atrocities. We see things that are taking place. Oh, to keep your soul where it ought to be. So consider yourself lest you be tempted. I think that's part of this principle here as well. You can get so mad at sin that it comes in that you begin to do wrong. And so he brings out this this aspect here in this church discipline. We talked about that uh, last week. And and then as it, it goes down to verse 21... Uh, we, we just mentioned this last week. Peter said unto him, and it's interesting that, again, this is in a chronological order. Not, excuse me, not chronological. This is in a thematic order here in, in Matthew's account. Peter said, how oft uh, should I forgive my brother who, who sins against me? Uh, and, and, I, and I forgive him. And Peter says seven times. And, and Jesus said unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times. But until 70 times 7, which last week we found out was how much? 490. 490. That's a lot. And what the Lord is teaching here, I think is a couple of things. I think it's, you know, I mean, the Lord brings out these numbers. All right, Peter, if you want to give a number, I'll get a number. Start counting. And pretty soon you're going to recognize how wrong it is to count. Or how right it is to forgive. Can you imagine doing something 490 times? I think you'd get it down, wouldn't you? 
Now, Peter was a little slow at times, but, uh, you know, this is what the Bible says in other places. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That ye be rooted and grounded in love. May be able to comprehend. I think about this. How much do I comprehend God's love for me? How much do I comprehend His forgiveness to me? How much do I understand how God has accepted me because I've invited Jesus Christ to come into my heart to take away all of my sins? One person has said that uh, God accepts you that will free you to accept yourself and then you will be free to accept others. You know, a lot of people have insecurity problems because they don't understand the love of God. And Paul is saying, I'm going to pray that you comprehend the love of God. We talked uh, in this whole process here about that, uh, that forgiveness and, and that anger in our hearts is a love problem. He says that all saints, what is the breath and the length and the depth and the height uh, that, and to know the love of Christ with passest knowledge. In other words, folks, as much as you study it, as much as you read about it, as much as you hear it, as much as we talk about it, we're never going to be able to understand how an infinite, holy, eternal God, as Pastor Dan talked about today, focus on His attributes, how this God of eternity would send His Son to die on a cross for someone like me. By the way, for those who think they're good enough to meet God in their own selves, you mark it down. They are pointing their finger at a loving God who sent His Son to die on the cross. What an insult to a holy God. We might understand this, the love of Christ which passes knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. And so we've talked about this. You know what we need to do? We need to grow in our love for God and understanding how much He loves us. And what we find next, or, and let me just give you this. He says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or bore, boastful or proud. You know, people talk about love today, and I mean, it's just the, the word of, of choice. People have no idea the definition. First Corinthians 13 gives you that definition. It's not rude. It's not demanding its own way. It's not irritable. And it keeps no record of being wronged. Now, we could ask ourselves, is it easier to say I love somebody than to really love somebody? You know, we examine God's definition of love, which is sacrificial love. We discover that oftentimes we are failing in this aspect of love. And so the Lord wants to get their attention, uh, Peter's attention here primarily, but he gives them a parable. All right. I'm going to read this parable and I want you to think about this parable, the setting. If you could put your mind in the setting, I, I really believe this is so well described here. It's not hard for us to imagine what's going on, but it's the king and his servants. Notice what it says after he said that in verse 23. Follow along if you have your Bibles open there. In uh, verse 23, it says, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him 
which owed him ten thousand talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion. And loosed him and forgave him the debt. But that same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him an hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat and said, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought and begged him and say, Have patience with me and I'll pay thee all. But he would not. But went and cast him into prison uh, till he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, he said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou begged it of me. Shouldst not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise, my heavenly Father, do also unto you if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. Whoo! Would you not agree that's quite an illustration? What is it an illustration of? It is an illustration of how much God has forgiven us and how much someone else owes us in comparison. Now you say, well, Pastor, what does all that mean? All right, let's look at these. All right, you say 10,000 talents. That's, uh, a talent is about 75 pounds of gold or silver, depending on the commodity of the time. We also saw there a pence. We also read early about a farthing, which as best I can understand is a half of a pence. And we've said a pence is equal to one day's wages. Interesting, back there in Matthew chapter 5, we talked about this a little bit last time, is the fact that if we are not taking care of things properly and doing things as we should, we can find ourselves in prison in our own mind until we're down to the very smallest amount of money. And there are many people that put their minds and their souls in prison because of unforgiveness. 
Now, I've read a couple things about this uh, victim mindset and how do we deal with our brothers. And we find here that this is a strong command. It's not a suggestion. And so what we find here in this story is this great debt that you and I have been forgiven of from God the Father. And we go into it. One pence equals a day's wages, which I'm putting up there for sake of easy math. Is that all right? A hundred dollars. Now, I know, uh, Renee, you make uh, lots more money than that. And, and, and most of you probably make tons more than that. And maybe not. But anyways, uh, one day's wages, one talent, one talent is equal to six thousand pence. 6,000 pence. And you know, it, it varies depending on the scales and things like that. But if you're kind of putting a middle number in there, it can go down a little lower, it can go up a little higher, and you read about this and you'll get a few various answers. But we're putting in here kind of what, what it is for comparison, but, but, but yeah, you'll get the idea. 6,000 pence. How much money is that? $600,000. It would take you 16.4 years of wages to pay one talent. One talent. How much did this guy owe? 10,000 talents. You see the number up there? It equals six billion dollars. It would take you a hundred and sixty four thousand years to pay it. You know, it's quite interesting. This guy, he says, oh, if you just let me go out there, I'll pay you. Right. There is no capability that he has to pay this debt. And guess what? There is no capability in ourselves to pay the debt that we owe God. And I'm going to tell you something. When you and I consider how much God has forgiven us of, and our ticket into heaven has been bought by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, how much is that worth to you? And the guy forgives him six billion dollars. You see, when you grab hold of your forgiveness with Jesus Christ and you understand what God has forgiven you of, you know, too often today when we deal with sin because it has been so uh, minimized today, people, when they come to Christ, they say, okay, but God, forgive me. You don't see the weeping and the wailing for where they stand before a holy God. And oftentimes, oftentimes, they don't come and repent of their sins because they're not brought to the awareness of their sins. And this story is to illustrate how much God has forgiven us of. I don't know about you, but I am thankful. Yes. And I'll be honest with you. I probably owe more than six billion dollars. I probably don't owe as much as Rankin does, but uh, close. <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? How much God has forgiven us. Can I hear a hearty amen to that? Is it something that you could pay? Is it something you could work off? Is it, you see what I'm saying? There is no way when someone says, I'm going to be good enough to get into heaven. There's no way. 
And God says, I'll forgive you. By putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and what he's done. It's the only way of heaven. As we read this morning, there's no other name given amongst men whereby you must be saved. It is Jesus Christ and him alone. Aren't you thankful for it? How how many here owe a a mortgage payment? Can I see your hands? How many owe a mortgage payment? Reluctantly, we raised our hand. Just paid yours off. Praise the Lord for that. Do you know, I, I don't know, let's say, do you still owe a mortgage payment? Do you still owe a mortgage payment? Let's say that Blaine owes $100,000 on his mortgage payment. And Jose, being the wealthy man that he is, hears about his indebtedness. And, uh, and the fact is that uh, Blaine is going into foreclosure. He's going to lose his home because he can't make the payments. And Jose, being the good man that he is and the generous man he is, he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go down to the bank and I'm going to pay that $100,000 off. Would that make your day? Yes. How many others would say that would make my day? I mean, all, all you're saying, hey, Jose, Jose, come, come to my house. And, and so what we discover here is in our human understanding, and that's why Jesus is bringing this parable, in our human understanding, we need to understand this man has been forgiven $6 billion. You know, we hear of, uh, who's the guy that owns Nike? Phil Knight, and, and who's the guy that owns Microsoft? Bill Gates. Bill Gates. I, someone said that he was at one time worth like $54 billion. You know, Jerry, you and I can't, can't, we can't even wrap our hand around 64. I mean, $6 billion would take us 164,000 years working seven days a week, 365 years out of the day, out of the year. We can't even imagine 54 billion. And he's bringing out this illustration to understand what we have been forgiven of. And so he goes away. Do you think his response is odd? What's his response? He's a debtor. But then somebody owes him money. And it talks about it here, a hundred pence. Remember, a pence is equal to one day's wage, about a hundred dollars. So if he owes him a hundred pence, this uh, fellow slave, by the way, that's the idea there. This isn't the king and the, and the servant. This is fellow servants of this king. He says he, he owes them a hundred pence, which is equal to $10,000. Now, that's really not any small chunk of change. Is, is that correct? If someone owed me $10,000, you know, I'd really want them to pay that, wouldn't you, Chuck? I mean, that's nothing to sneeze at. But do you see the comparison? He says, yes, it can be painful to forgive $10,000. But in comparison, you just have been forgiven $6 billion. There's no comparison. No comparison. A hundred days compared to 164,000 years of wages. Do you get the picture? What's he talking about? The very last thing that the Lord says is he summarizes this. When Peter asks, how many times should I forgive? 
Verse 35, So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. Is that a suggestion, congregation, or is that a command? It is a command. And I'm going to tell you something. Why would we hold on to being unforgiven? It's like drinking cyanide and hoping it kills the other person. But the flesh finds some gratification. I'm going to tell you something. There's great liberty in our soul when we can forgive and we don't keep account of what other people do wrong. Amen and amen. Uh, in Luke chapter 17, verse 5, where it's, uh, it's uh, uh, a verse that's added on to this story. We don't see that the whole story played out quite like it in Matthew, but it's in reference to this story that's uh, being told. And the Lord's telling this story to his disciples. And the disciples responded this way. The apostles said unto the Lord, increase our faith. To me, I find that interesting. And the reason I find it interesting is you say, well, Lord, increase our love. But no, the disciple says increase our faith. That we can believe our beliefs. That we can be convinced in our mind that forgiveness is the right way no matter what has happened. And there might be some folks here that are struggling with this because they've had a lifetime of unforgiveness or atrocities and things that have happened. And they've been imprisoned in their mind. And God is using this illustration in Matthew 18 to help us to understand, listen, yes, we can focus on all the good things and we're not there being slaughtered by ISIS and we're not seeing our children ripped away and raped and all those kinds of things. We're here in America and all those things. And yes, it's good to count our blessings. But I believe the greatest key to find forgiveness no matter whatever has happened to you in your life is to understand how much God has forgiven you. Can I hear an amen on that? Grab hold of it. That's why the Lord gave this illustration for Peter to get it through his head. And may we get it through not only our head, but our heart as well. Because God wants us to forgive in our hearts as well. All right. In fact, uh, Matthew or excuse me, Ephesians chapter four, verse thirty two, it says, be kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God for Christ's sake uh, hath forgiven you. God has forgiven us. And he says, you need to go out there and forgive others as Christ has forgiven you. How much has he forgiven you? Everything. Everything. It's interesting, these terminologies here. It's, it's really quite interesting. The word forgiveness is the word for grace. God has forgiven us by grace. And that word is used both places where you're supposed to forgive and God forgives. What is different about this, these two words, though, is their tenses in the Greek language. The first forgiveness, which is our responsibility, is in the present tense, which is the tense of ongoing. It's the characteristic of our life. It's the quality. It's our character. It's our disciplines. It's the idea that we're supposed to keep on forgiving. There's no end to this. It's just you keep on forgiving and forgiving. It's the tense of eternity. But then when you come to the word as Christ forgave you, it is in the aorist tense. And the aorist tense is you are forgiven. You are forgiven. When you accepted Christ as your Savior, you are forgiven once and for all. 
For all of eternity, you are forgiven. That is your position. God looks at you. And the only way He can look at you and be forgiven is because He looks through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross so that you could have your sins washed away. And He puts them as far as the east as the west. And He remembers them no more. I am forgiven! Praise God for that. Do we accept it? You accept God's forgiveness to you. You can then accept forgiveness in your own self when you still do things that are wrong. And you can forgive others because of the love of God. And God can give you the faith to forgive. And I've talked to so many people that when they've come to that place where they're able to forgive the situation, whether that person asked for forgiveness or not, they found liberty in their soul. There's a story in the Bible. One of my favorite stories. Let's close with this story after uh, one more verse here before we go to that story. Forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Amen? Let's go to the story of Joseph. Y'all know the story of Joseph. This is found in Genesis 37 through 50, the part where Joseph as a teenager... Favorite of his father's, it appears, as he was given that coat of many colors. How many know the story of Joseph? Isn't it a wonderful story? Wonderful story. I was just reading it in my devotions as we start this new year off in Genesis and everything. And you remember the story. The brothers did not like Joseph. He had ten brothers that hated him. Why? Because Joseph got the coat of many colors. Because Joseph thought he was somebody. Because someday his brothers were going to bow down to him. And it just irritated them. They didn't realize that God had spoken to Joseph. And so they let their irritation build. And one day Joseph was sent to his brother, uh, by his father to his brothers to go find out what was going on. And help them out with some things. And, and the brothers saw him coming. And as they saw him coming, they said, here comes that dreamer. And they grab him, they throw him in a pit. He's 17 years of age. They throw him in a pit and they're going to kill him. But while Reuben's away, the brother says, you know what? Hey, here comes this band. You know, just hold it. Just coincidence that this band from Midian comes along. Would you, would you say that, Chuck? Just coincidence? Just coincidence, this band. And, and the brothers, by the way, this is... This is a, a self-fulfilling prophecy, <laughs> but a God-fulfilled prophecy. The brother says, hey, you know, why kill him? Let's sell him to the Midianites. Let's make some money on this. We'll get rid of our troubles and we can get rich. And so they sell him to the Midianites. The Midianites take him to, to Potiphar's house and he's sold as a slave there. Reuben comes back and discovers that they're gone. And they come up with this story and they say, let's tell dad. They had his coat of many colors and they, they dipped it in a blood of an animal. I think it was a goat, uh, a goat animal. And they dipped it in blood. And let's go show it to our father and say something's happened to Joseph. Can you imagine these brothers conspiring together and deceiving their father and how heartbroken their dad was? Joseph goes out of the picture. The story goes on. You read various other things that take place. It's quite interesting and all. And now, as, as he's in Potiphar's house, he sold there. The, the, remember, Potiphar's wife accused him of trying to rape her. And so he's thrown into a worse prison. 
When you read the story of Joseph, do you see him getting bitter or angry? You know, that's the thing that's missing in this story. And even though Joseph is in prison, he's not in prison. But as you go on in this story, you find out who really is in prison. He's in prison for how long? 13 years, 17. Yeah, 17 years he was old. He was 13 years in prison. And, and the last two years of his prison, remember the story? How the butler and the baker, they had these dreams. And uh, one was executed and one was set free because of Joseph interpreting the, these dreams. And Joseph said to the butler, he says, listen, when you get out, would you just tell some folks about this? What did the butler do? He forgot. How many more years did Joseph have to stay in prison because of that? Two more years. Would that make you a little upset if you had to spend two more years in prison? And finally, Pharaoh has a dream and, and uh, the butler said, Oh man, I forgot. There's this guy in prison that helped me and uh, the situation I was in. Oh, it's my bad. Pharaoh, please forgive me. But you need to get this guy out here. And Joseph gives out to find Pharaoh. If I was Joseph, I would have looked at that butler and two years I've been in here. Right? Many of us. And then Joseph interprets the dream. And Pharaoh says, who can be uh, the one that can run this? And we're going to make Joseph second in command. If I was Joseph, come here, butler. I got some unfinished business. Do you see that? You don't see that. I'm sure there was possibly warfare in his mind that was going on, just like any one of us, because the devil wants us to focus on the atrocities and focus on the wrong rather than focusing on the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he doesn't. And because he doesn't, he becomes a champion. How we need champions not being robbed of the light of the gospel in their soul because of unforgiveness. And the story goes on and there's seven years of plenty and then there comes the seven years of famine. You all know that part of the story. When the seven years of famine start hitting, it hits Jacob and his family. Now, catch this. At least 20 years has passed. 20 Years has passed. And the brother says, hey, we better go. We hear there's food in Egypt. Let's go down there, get food. And so the brothers go on their merry way and they come to Pharaoh. Or, excuse me, come and they stand before Joseph. Do they recognize Joseph? No, because he's got on this fancy hairdo and uh, speaks Egyptian. And uh, the makeup was quite a killer back then. But anyways, they, they didn't recognize him. And he speaks through an interpreter and all does he recognize them? Isn't that interesting? 20 years. I'm sure he's probably thinking, that, boy, you guys have really grown up. But let's really find out whether you've grown up. And, and it's interesting. He puts them in prison as spies for three days. And what I find what happens next, very interesting. You'll read this if you turn back to uh, Genesis 42. 
Genesis 42. And you'll read there in verse 21. They're sitting there being accused of being spies. Uh, Simeon is going to have to stay in prison and they're going to have to go back. And, and Joseph says, listen, so that I know that you're not spies, you bring Benjamin back with you or your younger brother. I want to make sure you're telling the truth. And all of a sudden, you know what comes to their mind? 20 years. 20 years ago. Notice what they say in verse 21. They said one to another, We are verily guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the anguish of his soul. Now, guess what? They're talking this in front of Joseph. Isn't that interesting? We saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us. He begged us and we would not hear him. Therefore, is this distress come upon us? You talk about a guilty soul for 20 years. It's haunting. There might be some folks here that have a haunting soul. You go on and continue reading this narration for sake of time. I'm just going to pick out a few verses, but these verses give you an insight into their soul. They go on their way and they find that uh, as they open up one of their sacks, maybe to have a lunch break or whatever, they found their money in the sack. And you would think, boy, this is great. But because of a guilty soul, oftentimes even the blessings can look like curses. And it says they were afraid. They discovered that their money was in every sack. They were afraid. They couldn't even enjoy the good thing that was happening to them. Because of a guilty soul. They come back and uh, tell their father what had happened. And, and uh, uh, verse 35, it says that it came to pass as they emptied their sacks that they behold every man's bundle of money was in the sack. And when both they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. Go down to verse 43 and you'll find almost in every chapter now as this is unfolding. Verse four, uh, 18. 43, verse 18. They have to go back. And, and they're telling their dad, he says, no, we've we got to go back. We've got to bring Benjamin or else he's going to consider us a spy. By the way, guess where Simeon is? Simeon is in prison all this time. And, and, uh, and so the father says, take back double the money so that, that he understands that we weren't trying to rob him or anything else. There's, there's got to be something here and they're struggling with this and they've got to bring uh, Benjamin back. In verse 18, uh, when they get there, they're asked to come into Joseph's house. You see that in verse 18? What was the response of coming into Joseph's house? It was very unsettling, to say the least. They were afraid. They were fearful. The guilt that is riddling their soul. Chapter 44 Verse 12, you'll come to another part of the story where it's interesting. They brought Benjamin. They all sit around the table. They eat and everything, and they're having a good time. 
And maybe, you know, in these ups and downs of our emotions, you'll have those good times and maybe we're getting away with this and everything. Does a man ever get away with sin? Never. Unless you ask God to forgive you. They get up and they leave. And as they're going home, I'm sure, oh, we got Simeon back, we got Benjamin still, and everything's going great. Here comes Joseph's servants, his army, and they stop him. And he says, what, what, what means this? And they say, one of you took my servant's cup. Even after he had treated you so well, one of you took his cup. And they're looking around, you, you, do, you do it, no. You, you, hey, search it. Go ahead and seek it out. Not one of us would do something like that. And whoever you find, you take that person and you take them and throw them in prison. They search from the oldest to the youngest. Whew. Whew. Can you imagine just in that emotion what would be going on? And when they came to Benjamin's sack and they opened it up, and the servant took out Joseph's cup. The dagger that went through their hearts. They realized. And in fact, the Bible says they rent their clothes. The anguish that was in their soul. They're brought back into Pharaoh's or into Joseph's presence. And as Pharaoh looks at or as uh, Joseph looks at them. He says, listen, Benjamin will stay here. The rest you can go. And Judah goes into this dissertation. He says, let me stay. And he goes in and talks about his brother again and all this. And finally, Joseph, he's listening to this. You go to chapter, is it 45? I think it's the next chapter. And, 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 and Joseph, I mean, he's had to excuse himself a few times because of weeping and tears. And now he sends everybody out of the house. And he tells his brothers, he says, listen, I'm Joseph. Did that make their day? <laughs> Can you imagine? 20. You I mean, they have been carrying the guilt for 20 years. And now they're face to face with their victim. And the Bible says that they had great fear. They had this fear that came over them. What is going to happen? They could not experience God's forgiveness. They could not experience. They try to cover. And the Bible says, if you try to cover your sins, you'll not prosper. But Joseph forgives them before they're even asked to forgive them. He says, come on, let's have a group hug. That's kind of the modern version of it. But uh, you see, and all of a sudden, man, uh, if, I, if I were to go to my last picture on my, my slide there, uh, you'll, you'll see uh, the, the joy and the hug and the reunion and everything. And man, this is a wonderful time. But you know, as you go on into this story, you'll read in the next few chapters where Jacob, the, the dad, and they all move into Egypt. And by the way, this is all part of fulfillment of prophecy, isn't it? It's amazing how God can orchestrate the difficulties of our lives to turn out to be blessings. You know, sometimes we don't put that in the equation. So often we look at just what's happening now. No, God had a plan 20 years later. And the family comes in. And not only 20 years later, He had a plan 400 years later. Because God knows the beginning from the end. And it's not about what happens here. 
It's about what happens there. You're getting into heaven by Jesus Christ and the life that you live here, don't let it be shackled by unforgiveness or doing things and trying to cover it. We see these responsibilities. The very last chapter, I believe it is, Dad dies. And the brothers are still having problems. They say, you know what? Joseph was kind to us while Dad was alive because he loved his dad. But I bet you now he's going to kill us. Do you see? The, they, they didn't have freedom in their soul. So they come and say, we'll be your servants and everything. And Joseph says, oh, guys. You remember, this is one of the greatest lines in the Bible. He says, you meant it for harm, but God meant it for good. Now, there's a person that can understand forgiveness. No matter what has happened in our life, even to come to that place to understand forgiveness in your own soul, the liberation that it can bring to you. Father, I pray that you'll help us now as we we deal with this aspect of forgiveness and we go back and we remember the 10,000 talents, the $6 billion that we've been forgiven of. Lord, forgive us for carrying an animosity in our heart or looking at our brothers in the long way or letting things get under our skin or the ill nature of keeping accounts. And Oh, Father, I pray that you'll speak to our hearts. I know for all of us we are work in progress and there's something that we need to gain greater ownership of because it is a measure of faith that will allow us into this place of the truth of God's Word. So heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Have you experienced God's forgiveness to you? Have you come to Jesus and He has liberated you from the eternal penalty of your sins? A ticket to heaven worth far more than $6 billion, especially once you find yourself in eternity. Yet there are people who will sell their soul for far less. Do you know Jesus? Have you invited Him into heart? Are you trusting in Him? and Him only. Nothing else. And you've been given forgiveness. That's based on God's Word. For whom the... the uh, uh, but God demonstrates His love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If you have not accepted the Lord as your Savior and had your sins forgiven for all of eternity, then why not today put your faith in Him? God sent His Son to this world to rescue you. And then maybe while you're here this morning, not only that, but maybe you're here and you've had some things in your life that you've been holding on to, maybe feeling justified in holding on to it. But right now, the Spirit of the living God is speaking to your heart and setting you free from the captivity of the prison of an unforgiving soul. To forgive in your heart. Why don't you just talk to the Lord now as the Bible says not to be just doers but hearers of the Word. And in this invitation, if God spoke to your heart, I encourage you to come or after this invitation, the invitation is always open. Maybe you need some more counsel. Maybe you're struggling with some things. But I tell you what, it's so wonderful to receive letters from people who have said, you know, God gave me freedom when I learned to forgive. And right now, by faith, accept it. 
It's not a magical formula. It's just the truth of responding to the truth of God's Word by faith and obedience. So, Lord, as we come to this invitation now, I pray for the health of our souls, of our mind, of those things that maybe have become such a part of the territory of our mind. Even though we might be making progress, even this morning we see areas of which we need to continue to work on. It is my prayer that you will help us this day to find that liberty in our soul, whatever it might be. And as Lord, your Holy Spirit brings something to mind today, that Lord, that we'll deal with it accordingly. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing invitation song, um, Jesus, I Come. Let's stand together. If God has spoke to your heart, I encourage you to come during this invitation time uh, or visit with us afterwards. And I pray that you'll be a doer of the Word. Isn't that fantastic, the Word of God? It is so liberating if we'll be obedient. before you leave or someone to pray with, please seek somebody else before you leave. Amen to that. We serve a great God. What He has forgiven me of. If you've not experienced that forgiveness in your soul, come and visit before you leave. I encourage you to do so. I wasn't able to read some letters this morning, but Lord willing, I'll, I'll start our service next week off by reading a couple letters from some folks that have been so encouraging to me. I trust that the Lord will continue to do and work in our hearts as He sees fit. Tonight we have the, uh, um, the uh, uh, Gideon presentation tonight. I believe you're going to thoroughly enjoy tonight's presentation. Also, uh, next, Wednesday, uh, next Sunday there is a vote on the Constitution. So uh, remember that as we didn't vote on it last Sunday night. We're going to vote on it the following Sunday. There is a few more changes if you want to pick up and look at. You don't have to take them home. There's just a few things that are very minor, but yet some clarity things on the Welcome Center. You're welcome to do so. Quilting ministry on Tuesday, then the Golden Chosen on Wednesday, and then uh, next uh, two weeks we've got uh, uh, February 7th. Next Sunday night our Peru trip will be back. Uh, they're coming back on Tuesday, and we're going to have next Sunday night the Peru trip, and then the Young at Heart and uh, Home Builders are going to have a Valentine's uh, love for one another banquet. All right, shake hands with folks before you leave, and Lord willing, we'll see you tonight. Amen. God bless you.